What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise? Ten years ago, Stu Rowe, Jen Olive and Andy Partridge started working on material which, after all these years, is finally and gloriously seeing the light of day. To celebrate the arrival of the three club men, we're talking to each of the brilliant musicians in turn. My name is Mark Fisher and I'm delighted to welcome you back to What Do You Call That Noise? The XTC podcast and the second in a trio of interviews. To mark the arrival of Aviatrix, Racecar and Green Green Grasshopper as well as Look at Those Stars, the podcast has temporarily turned from monthly to weekly. In last week's episode, we heard Stu Rowe saying... With Andy, often I've been, actually been in the room where he'll grab a guitar and he's, you know, his mind's working so fast. It's hard to keep up. Next week, we'll hear Andy Partridge saying... Somebody normal, inverted commas, you know, here's their... And they may sing like that, but you give that to Jen and she may sing like that. And it comes back a totally different feel. And you think, that is great. Why didn't I hear it like that? Why didn't I hear it wrong like that? Because wrong is so much more thrilling. And this week, I'm very, very excited to say we'll be hearing lots from the wonderful Jen Olive. All that in just a moment. First, it's time for our regular feature in which you, the listeners, entertain us with your XTC-inspired songs. Since the start of the year, we've heard wonderful bits of music from John Bicknell, Warren Butson, Christopher Underwood and Jeff Nicholson. And last week, we heard from Joel Bell with House Not House. It's a couch, not couch. Now it's the turn of Mark Sander, who tells me his band, Cone of Silence, was a fixture on Canada's pop scene in the 1990s. Although he also tells me it was something like in the way a a tumour is a fixture on a perfectly good cell. I'm in no position to comment, but his song, Richard Nixon, is good. And here he is to tell us about it. What do you call that noise? Hello, my name is Mark Sander. I'm with the band Cone of Silence from here in Canada, and I wish to talk about our song Richard Nixon off of our record 60 Grit, Sandpaper and Other Delights, which we released a number of years ago, as a testament to the depth by which we have been influenced by XTC as a band and the degree to which XTC has influenced our writing, arranging and recording. On the surface, it may seem that Richard Nixon as a song isn't influenced by XTC, but quite the opposite is true. I'll point out three things to you. The first is the chord structures, the chord voicings, the chord progressions even. When my co-writer in Cone of Silence, Pat Strain, and I were first getting together, we rolled around quite literally on the floor laughing at an interview we read of Andy Partridge, where in typical hilarity, he talked about his chords that were like star-shaped chords with legs that kicked. And we just thought that was the funniest thing. But lo and behold, we started to experiment ourselves with that and and say, well, you know, need to have the chords be the standard rock and roll chords. What if you moved your finger over here or there? And you'll hear a few of that kind of chord playing around with in, in Richard Nixon. And also the kind of off the beaten track chord progressions that XTC would try that other people wouldn't do. So hopefully that comes out. 
Secondly is the Rickenbacker 360-12 Jet Glow New Style electric guitar that um, that I have that is very similar to Dave Gregory's of the same uh, that you'll see on the uh, Senses Working Overtime video, chiefly, but was used apparently for the English Settlement and Mummer recording sessions, at least. And on this record, I remember us really trying to get the purity and uniqueness of Dave Gregory's Rickenbacker 12-string tone. It's like trying to get Roger McGuinn's 12-string tone from The Birds or Pete Townsend from The Who or George Harrison. I mean, Dave Gregory's tone is his own within the realm of Rickenbacker, and you could have an entire other episode on just Rickenbacker, really. But we we made a real effort to try to get that sense of, of Dave's guitar tone that we succeeded or failed. I don't know that it matters, but for your purposes, please know that we were trying to get Dave Gregory's tone. Finally, the subject matter is about Richard Nixon, which doesn't sound like XTC, but in fact, I think it is very XTC in that uh, after Nixon died, I saw a film documentary about him, which was surprisingly sympathetic. And then I saw Oliver Stone's film about Richard Nixon. And there was a scene in there that was particularly riveting for me where he's standing rather ruefully in front of the portrait of John F. Kennedy. And he mutters bitterly, when people look at you, they see who they want to be. When people look at me, they see who they are. And you could go away from that and say, well, I don't want to be like that. But there was a sense of it that really resonated, at least with me, and I hope with everybody, where those darkest feelings can actually be admitted, which is what he was essentially doing, admitting his ugly underneath, if you will. And I think that is something that, even though our lyrics are not metaphorically as rich as those of XTC, I mean, XTCs are sans pleurer when it comes to quality, but we, we were trying to get, I think, at the humanity that XTC is so good at and trying to understand people as merely people, good, bad, or indifferent, but we're all that together and we're struggling through that together. And so we need to love each other more. Um, it, it's not a surprise to me that one of the songs I listened to the most last year was The Hardest Battle by Colin Moulding. Love that song. So there in a nutshell is how a song that's unlikely to be influenced by XTC, Richard Nixon, actually is heavily influenced by, by XTC. Thank you to XTC. Thank you to Mark Fisher. Thanks to everybody. What do you call that noise? I want to tell you my side of the case. And I want you to know. To tell the truth. Facts. I'll have to start early. I was born in the people. Our family was one of modest circumstances. The only reason we run from that office and I want you my opinion. To tell the truth, regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it.
Great stuff. Thank you, Mark Sander, for that. You can find Cone of Silence's album 60 Grit, Sandpaper and Other Delights on various platforms. And I'll put a link to that with the podcast details. If you're a musician and you've written something inspired by XTC in some ways, I'd love to hear from you. Your music doesn't have to sound like XTC, although it could do, but perhaps it has some connection lyrically, thematically, rhythmically, melodically, I don't know. And if you've got something that fits the bill, please get in touch with me at mark at xdclimelight.com. And uh, I've got to give my monthly, I'm very happy to give my monthly shout out to the very, 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 very wonderful patrons um, on Patreon whose donations keep the XTC podcast running. And if you'd like to join them, I'd be very, very happy with that. Uh, Just go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and you can choose if you'd like to be a pink thing, a humble daisy or a knight in shining karma. And if you do that the very last one, I'll read out your name at the end of each episode. And if you have an appetite for even more XTC, remember you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book with lots of fantastic interviews and commentary about XTC and that. You can get that at xdclimelight.com. Right, so we've heard from Stu Rowe. We're going to hear from Andy Partridge. What could be better than to hear from Jen Olive all the way from Albuquerque, New Mexico? Jen has two fabulous albums, Warm Robot, which was produced by Andy Partridge, and The Breaks, which was produced by Stu Rowe, which puts her right at the heart of the Venn diagram that is The Three Club Men. So I'm very, very delighted to welcome Jen Olive to the podcast. This is very exciting because I'm a big fan of yours and I can never quite understand why um, nobody else... (laughs) <laughs> has has even heard of you, but then <laughs> I, I'm an acquired taste. Yeah, well, it's it's that as well, but I think I I just also noticed on your um uh, Instagram account, I think it is that you describe yourself as a recluse, and so maybe that's yeah <laughs> that's got something to do with it. I think so. I really like the three clubmen stuff. It's fantastic. I, it's... Oh, I'm 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 thrilled by that. I'm so excited by that. Can't believe we finally got it together to do this, and it's. Yeah, it's awesome. And a long and long and protracted birth. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, very long labor. Yeah. That thing about it being, um, you know, 10 years or whatever since you did it, does Mm -hmm. that give you uh, the opportunity to listen to it with fresh ears? Does it feel like a new discovery? Well, it's been fresh ears a thousand times because we, we started it. And we were all doing other things. I mean, we started that when I was doing Warm Robot with Andy. And so it was just kind of this fun little side thing that we were just having fun with. And then it disappeared. And every couple of years, you know, one of us would be like, hey, now where's that stuff? Let's have a listen. And it's, oh, whoa, this is pretty good. Maybe we should do some more with this. And then it's always in a new form as well once we come back to it because Stu's been pulling it out and tinkering oh look guys I added this saxophone two years ago (laughs) you know know, (laughs) type of thing and so yeah so and it feels completely fresh now because the evolution where it started to what it is now is a whole different animal and it's really grown into itself yeah it's just been a, a really cool evolution I've been playing it a lot, but uh, and but just I don't know why the sort of thought just occurred to me. But just most you know, just this afternoon when I was playing it, um, 
Aviatrix in particular, I was kind of thinking, there's just, there's just so much detail here. There's just so much going on. And, you know, the song doesn't stay still at any point. There's always new ideas coming all the way through. Yeah. Is that a, cons- is that a consequence of that sort of long, long development process? I don't know. I think the fact that it took so long doesn't necessarily inform the way they are, because I think the three of us all have a lot going on in our heads at (laughs) at any given moment. You know, there's what's happening in front of you, and then there's the 50 conversations going on in the background. And I think we all three, I want to say suffer that, but I think we all just sort of have that. And so I think it informs what's going on that, you know, Stu will try five different instruments and just layer them all on and I'll send like 10 harmony vocal and say, hey, what about this? And Andy just sits back and goes, I like it, I like it. Yeah, you know what we could do? And nobody blinks an eye about it. So I think it would have been what it is anyway, if it took a year or if it took a decade, because... You know, we're all a little, and I mean this with all, in all the best way, I think we're all slightly touched a little bit, you know, in the way we hear things. So I think it it probably would have turned out that way anyway. And in that sense, you're very well matched because there are many people who would just say, oh, let's just strip it back and we'll just have a, you know, a, well, a keyboard here and that's all. That was the, uh, that was when I first met Andy. That was because I'd worked with other people before. I did a, you know, stint with a label before, and it just was great. Don't get me wrong, but it was a lot of that. It was well, do we really need all those vocals? Do we need the? Do we need all those notes in the guitar? Do we really have to have it that way? And I was like, yes, yes, we do need to have it that way. But Andy was kind of like, oh, okay, this is. Do you have any idea what you're doing? I said, well. I know what I'm doing. Do you know what I'm doing? And he was excited by it. So I thought, oh, okay, there's there's one person out there who can hear it. And then I met Stu, and it felt insane to me that there were three people who all had it. <laughs> like, what? Okay. So yeah, that is a big part of it. I was thinking one of the things I like about it, and this probably reflects my tastes as a listener and as a, as a listener who's been educated by uh, listening to XDC for 40 years is that I, I wouldn't say it sounds like XDC but it has the quality that XDC music has which is that there's a lot in it and you can and and it doesn't um yeah doesn't wear thin because you can keep on going back and keep on discovering more in it right I mean well Andy is definitely present you know Andy is Andy he has a signature he's Andy if he's there, you're going to hear it. And that's great. I think it all complements each other really well. And it is very layered. You are correct for that. It is. There are a lot of layers. I don't even know how many tracks are on that thing. I have no idea. I don't even know if Stu knows how many tracks there are. <laughs> no, I know. Yes. It, I, I had a nice chat with Stu uh, just a couple of days ago, and he was you know, talking about you know, Confused. <laughs> 35 vocal tracks or whatever it might be. And and um, and actually, that he was, that was partly in response to a question I asked. I could ask you the same question, which is about when you are collaborating. Do you always remember? Oh, that bit's mine, and that bit's his. Or or, or after a while, do all the ideas sort of become in like a big soup, and you can't quite remember who did what? They probably get lost more than I do because they are together a lot, and they they were together a lot. So I did listen to it. Somebody asked me, actually, we were listening to it a week ago or something, and someone said, is that your guitar line? And I said, I don't think so. 
I think that I think that's Andy, but I couldn't. Re- I wasn't quite sure. I, I know some what's what's your mind, but um, but so I guess that that has happened. Yeah, but the the way that we did it, you know, they would send me empty music a lot of times, just uh, just unarranged, empty, just ideas, and I would try to f- find the structure in there or say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a verse. What do you think of it? And, and so, so in some ways, my job, I guess, is um, felt a little bit defined, felt more defined to me. And then what they do afterward, you know, taking and saying, oh, I'm going to move this over here or we're going to make this twice as long. So they probably have more confusion about it than I do just because they're, they're, they're closer to each other in the process. I'm, over here in the woods. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> and uh, how, how does it compare with the way that you have write and would write songs for yourself in, in other circumstances? Did, because uh, the, the reason I'm asking the question is because to take the example of, well, we could take the example of Aviatrix. It starts off with a, 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 a I believe, a guitar riff played by you a sort of loop that's and, and a lot of your music is based on that sort of repetitions of loops and stuff i'm not sure if that is me though actually that that guitar oh maybe it's not i'm not sure if it is or not that might be that might be andy that might be andy playing guitar i'm not really i'm not sure it does sound like it could be me but i don't think it is me mm-hmm. i'm not sure but to answer your question though my writing changed a lot once I started, when I re- started recording with Andy, I really started writing in the studio. So in some ways, the way that I write now is not much different than that because, you know, I used to write a whole song at once, like people do. You, you write a song, right? You write, the, you write a song like a normal person and then you sing it all the way through and there it is. And when I did Warm Robot, I let my brain just explode. I thought, I'm going to do, because he can take it. (laughs) He can handle it. Uh So I'm going to do everything. I'm just going to put a five on top of a seven on top of a four. And, you know, wherever they meet, that's the one. And I'll just go from there. And, And so I just really, that just sort of became the new way for me, I think. You know, I write in the studio with in pieces and stuff like that now. So um, I can't even really do it the old way anymore. I've tried and it's just, I feel like this is, this is so boring. Like, you know, I've been ruined, (laughs) been ruined, Uh (laughs) you know. And maybe that's why, you know, when I first listened to the three club men, it felt like, you know, if, if I'd said who, if you'd asked me who, who this most sounds like, I would have said it sounds like you because, it, and maybe that's the oh wow, the, that's the um, the the similarity in the way that 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 you've structured songs. Right, right. That could be. That could be. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's actually. I'm so inside it now that I can't even. I can't even really hear it, and I can't even imagine how it sounds to somebody else. If you know what I mean. You know, you get so mired in it and and then you start to listen, you know, you start to listen to little things that no one is paying attention to. The little guitar sound in the back, no one is listening to that. But but I'm listening to it saying, oh, you know, and it shifts the whole way the song sounds to me. So I can't even imagine how it sounds to another person. I hope good. That's the hope is. <laughs> yeah, so no, it does sound good. Definitely yeah, I hope it's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> and what's about um, lyrically? 
Um, am I right in assuming, and it is a, a big assumption, that if you're singing it, you wrote it, and if Andy's singing it, he wrote it? Yeah, that's pretty much the way we do it. I mean, we did try a couple things that we have in the vault somewhere where I had done a song that, and I start this way sometimes, where I don't say anything. I just kind of find a melody, mumble syllables, and I'll listen later and think, oh, I hear a word in there. Maybe I'll work off of that. And so I had just done this kind of improv. And Andy heard it and said, oh, I hear little words in there. And and so he wrote some things out and I tried to sing them. It was a little weird. I don't know what we're going to do with that, if anything. But but so we have done some of that. But for the recordings that we have out there, yeah, his he did his parts. I did my parts. He wrote his melody. I did my melody. And we just mashed them together. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And but they do mesh together as well. I mean, many. That's that's one of the lovely things about it is that, uh, well, two things. One is that your your voices sound well good together, uh, just audibly they sound good together. But also the, um, if you'd have if if your answer to that question had been, oh yeah, Andy wrote that melody and I was singing it, then I would have believed you. It's right, like, right, you know, right. You're not a million. You're in the same universe as each other. It's you're not. Um, yeah, we completely different. So it fits well together. Right. Yeah. And a weird thing too, when when we did Warm Robot, he had sent me a mix back, and there was a low vocal under there, and I thought it was him. And I said, did you sing, did you sing like a low harmony to that? And he said, no, I actually just put an octave. I just told, I just pitched your voice down. I said, it sounds just like you. And he, we, and it was, you know, this weird kind of, oh, we have very similar, we have like some kind of similar tone and different, but they do, there's like a frequency or something where they, they meet. So they do kind of, they blend nicely. Yeah. And your vocal harmonies are just gorgeous. <laughs> I just love them. That's the, that's the only way I can talk about them. Oh, thank you. you. And you just talked about, you know, sending 10 tracks over or 35 tracks over, whatever it might be. But but it, it, it is it is that hard to for you to achieve? Is it is it something you're, you do? Is it just come naturally to you? Yeah, that's it's um, that's probably the easiest part is that is that mm-hmm. part. I just love the sound of of vocal. I was gonna say vocal chords, but not vocal chords. Chords with vocals. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I just like to try. I love and I love dissonance. And I I just I like when things sit a little outside what you expect. I think I just naturally veer there, and it's so fun. The process of having to do them and send them also became super fun because. They didn't hear it right away, so I would lay it down and, and, you know, send it off and then wait for the message back. Like, what the hell is that, Jen? What was that? <laughs> you know? And I just get a thrill out of that because I think, oh, yes, I got it. Yeah. Stu, Stu was talking about one particular bit. I can't remember which bit he was talking about, but he was saying that, you know, it was a you'd come up with a chord that shouldn't, you know, logically it shouldn't make sense. If you know musical theory, it shouldn't make sense. But somehow that one note does work perfectly. It's the perfectly wrong note. Right. That's my, I just, that's, you know, I live for that perfectly wrong note. What works very well is there's, because, you know, you just described have it putting a seven on top of a four or on top of a six or whatever, which which sounds quite mathematical and dry and um, intellectual, if you like. It's not it's not somebody sitting around the campfire strumming their guitar. It's it's quite uh, composed in that sense. But then when you combine that with the 
beauty of the harmonies and and the melodies, then the, it, uh, to my mind, that's what becomes very interesting then, because it doesn't. It, uh, your music doesn't sound mathematical. It's not math rock. It, it, right, right, yeah. I think the fun part, or the part that I like, everybody's got their own fun, but the part that I like is if you take a four and, and a six and put them on top of each other, there is a place where it creates another another rhythm within and finding where the anchor is and then putting something melodic that ties it, that makes it so that you can't necessarily tell. I mean, you can, but that sort of packages it up, gives it some semblance of it's like cohesive. That's like a, that's just a thrill for me. I just, cause I don't like that cold, you know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, everything is, you know, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And, and, and you don't ever get to sink in, you don't get to fall in, you know? So I try to find that place where you can fall in and then let all the madness in the back just kind of just settle into its own thing. I try to do that. I mean, I listen back to some things sometimes and I think there's a reason like I've played a few times and I look out into the audience and I see people and they're desperately trying to find the one and they're looking at me and, and, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh, okay, maybe I, I need to work a little harder on this, on this idea. Does it come from somewhere like in terms of your own musical tastes? Have you, have you been influenced by someone to get to that position? Maybe. I mean, I really don't know. My mom is a jazz singer, you know, she's a club singer all my life. And I, I grew up in, you know, around a lot of that. I was, I refused to be taught. I I would I was rebellious in that way. Like no, she she would do that. She would say those two notes. That's not uh, no, that's not. And I'd say no. <laughs> you know, I don't really know. I've I I don't have like a huge. I mean, I'm a big Robert Fripp fan. I'm a huge King Crimson fan and uh, Rush fan. Um, although Rush, you know, Rush can get a little, you know, gets out there in the the mystical trees a little. But still, it, it's part of my youth. It's a, it's a, it's still a thrill. It's a thrilling, but I mean, not really. Not that I can really pinpoint. I wasn't like a huge Prague fan. Like Prague was my life, and I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna know it. No, I just there's a lot of different stuff that I just love, and King Crimson is one of them. But Kate Bush is one of them. Bowie is one of them, and. The Beatles is one of them. So I don't know where it all, it just, it's all up in a mash <laughs> up in there, you yeah, know? Yeah. Well, we could talk about the pop song because when you were talking before about the sort of mathematical thing, I, th I was kind of thinking, well, the thing that the listener hears is the tune and the, and you know, that's the, that's the first way in that the listener has. And they don't necessarily hear that it's in, in seven time or whatever. That's that, that, that is a sort of more infinite, uh, intellectual thing, or you have to think about it. And think, oh, hold on, there's, there's something wrong. There's, there's something, something wrong odd here, about yeah. this. Song. I wonder what it is. That there's <laughs> yeah. something wrong here. Um, so, so, uh, and I suppose a lot of the the reason that you that somebody might become alienated from a lot of the prog stuff is because again, it becomes a little bit intellectual and not right. popular enough. So it, it's like you're marrying those two things, and again. I d as I'm not saying that you sound like XTC, but one of the things that attracts me, I think, just instinctively to XTC is that combination of a sort of jazz influence, but also a sort of this influence and that influence. But at the heart, there's 
there's the Beatles there, you know, there's the well, <laughs> there's that melody. idea of a melody and a good yes. and a good well constructed yeah, yeah, song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agree. Yeah. Melody, it's everything. Without a without a, a nice melody, you know, it doesn't even matter. It's it's it it just it there's no uh I don't I mean for me anyway, I can't, I can't feel it. I can't I wanna fall into a world, you know. I wanna fall in and just be, you know, surrounded by the world that is being created. And melody is is the way in for me anyway. It's the way in. Yeah, I love a, a nice vocal melody. Yeah, and something like you know, look at those stars. The it's it's, it's oh. you know it's just very very catchy. And and the more the more you repeat it, the more. That's maybe the catchiest. I mean, that is uh, it's almost too catchy. It's almost like it's almost mm-hmm. like wow. I don't know. This is a. Uh, this is very gettable. Do we want to do this? But it sounds it sounds beautiful. So and actually, what's again, what's nice about this EP is that you've got you've got something like race car, which is the sort of Captain Beefhearty kind of uh, abrasive sort of edge set against those other things. Yeah, that um, which which gives it that sort of range across the, across the four songs. Right, and that, I think that was the hope that we could that we could do that. We could pluck out enough to sort of give a range without losing any kind of um you know quality i guess i was asking Stu about the other stuff that that you recorded and he he was saying you you might have had enough for a, a strong ep or a weak lp <laughs> like a weak album you know um or weaker album not weak but is there stuff out there that or in the recording studio that you would like to see released honestly i think some of those things could be they need some help they do they need a little help mm-hmm. um these are the ones, and you can tell if you listen to everything we've got. These are the ones that we were really excited about, and that we were really doing doing something for. These other ones are sort of ideas that have not really been fleshed out in in the way that we can. So it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say. There is some really cool music in there. There is some cool stuff in there, and. We could we could do it. We could make it cool. I know we could. Whether or not we want to, or we're going. I mean, I guess it depends. Well, it depends on how this goes, doesn't it? Because this is a complete. This is just weird. This is all of a sudden we're doing this. Okay, let's do this, and we're doing it. So, you know, I think um, at least for myself, I'm just settling into the reality that oh, we're doing this. We we've done this. <laughs> we've done this thing. So we'll go. You know, from there. I don't want to speak for anybody either. So, or you could just wait another ten years and see oh, what happens. Oh, Lord! If we all make it that long, twenty thirty three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, wheeling us in. So I'm intrigued to know, uh, particularly what you were just saying about warm robot and starting to write in the studio. Uh, in, in between that point when you were refusing, if you like, refusing to be influenced by your mother and and or going your own way between your mother and and getting into the studio for Warm Robot. What I don't know anything about what you were doing before that and 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 how you reached that point. Yeah, it's very weird. I can't explain what my younger person, my younger being was. I I, I did a lot of things under a lot of different names or even anonymously. I could not get my head around I don't know. It sounds goofy. I, I don't want to say the commerce of it all or something goofy like that, but I think I was just, you know, sort of posturing. I was just, I did a lot of things. Um, in the name of art. Is in that the name sort of, of thing? art. You know, going uh, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, that's, what it, that's where I was at. I would operate under a certain name and I'd play a lot of 
local things and record myself and sell my stuff and then just disappear. And just when it started to get, you know, sort of exciting, I would just, I would just bail out. I would disappear. And, and I was still kind of doing that in a way. I did this little stint with A&M Records and that went on for months and months and months. And I was just becoming very drained by it. I just felt like, ugh, they were just all the, I don't know, they, they were interested in all the things I wasn't interested in. And I was feeling like, eh, which, you know, in hindsight is probably kind of dumb. But And then somebody, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his brother is a massive, like massive, insane ecstasy. <laughs> there aren't many of us, but, you know, once you get the bug, you tend to get insane. <laughs> <laughs> there seem to be quite a lot of you. Yeah. He called up my friend and he said, he said, man. Andy has a label. I think your friend Jen would, I think that might be a fit. And he came to me and he told me this and I said, oh, Andy Partridge. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That, okay, that makes sense to me. And I had just chosen my name. I mean, my name is Jen, but <laughs> but my actual name is Jen. But I had just sort of taken on this name and made this, I was like in my new phase. and. And I wrote Andy a little, just a little note card, actually. It was just like a little blank card with a flower on it or something, you know, like a nothing card. And I wrote, hey, Andy, you know, I tried to, I just, hey, Andy, you know, check out this. I'm sending you this stuff, you know, if you dig it, you should, you should, you know, call me. This is my phone number. <laughs> and literally like three weeks later, I had an email and I was like, is this real? Somebody hacked my, is this real? Or what do you guys, what is this? You know? And, and then from there, things became serious. Like I couldn't be messing around with my fun little, you know, I'm an artist. It became serious. And suddenly I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'm shifting my life this way then. And, but so to answer your question, this very long story prior to that, I was just kind of messing about. I was super protective though is the thing like if I it's just very protective of the work the expression I just I wanted it to be what I needed it to be even if other people didn't grasp it or didn't get it or were like you could could actually be way better than this or you could do something much more appealing than this someone said to me one time why don't you just make music that people want to listen to (laughs) (laughs) so you know and I suppose you know I could have, uh, I could have done that, but I, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. I'm just wondering how much of a transition the songs went through to that 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 we can hear on Warm Robot. Did they sound like that? Were they sitting around for years before you put them in on that album, or did they were they all sort of created at that point? No, all those songs. Yeah, in fact, um, that was a weird thing about that album too. Was um, you know, so I had sent Andy this sort of demo, you know, self-recorded. I mean, literally the machine that I recorded on had a zip drive. That's, <laughs> that's where it was at. It was one of those, you know, it was like a new Roland and it recorded everything on zip drive. So everything has this, this like hum, this like electronic <laughs> noise in the back. And, um, he said, you know, you should send me one of these. Let me, let me mix it. Your mixes are trash. So let me, uh, let me mix it. And I, he didn't say trash, but that's what he meant. <laughs> and uh, so I sent I sent him one and he said, do you have anything else? And I, I said, Andy Partridge is asking if I have some more. Song. I guess I should write some. So I wrote a song 
and I'd record it and send it to him. And while he was mixing it, I just wrote another one. And literally there are maybe two songs, other songs that were written in that warmer robot period that just didn't, I think one of them wound up on like the follow-up. Um, there was like a little EP that came afterward and, and, um, but, and then maybe one more that was just a garbage song, but, but yeah, I just write, send, mix, send back, write in the, and just, 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 it was just this very linear, it was weird that way, but then we were done and. In your head, do you see them as a continuum, continuum with the songs that you were writing before that? Are they in the same idiom? Are they the same style of songs or did you actually shift your way of working? Um, No, they're similar. They're similar. Yeah. Um. They're actually a little more comprehensible than some of the, if you can believe it, some of the old stuff. It's, um, and I'd like to record some of that sometime just to know, just to hear it fleshed out and sounding good, you know, what those, what those songs might, might sound like. But no, in the same, the same vein. I mean, I think that, you know, just wacky, what time signature is that guitar stuff and, you know, trying to put a, a melody on top. I fleshed everything out on Warm Robot, but the songwriting itself is pretty, pretty much consistent, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. What was Andy like as a producer to work with? Awesome. Awesome. I mean, Andy was the first person and I'd sat in A&M studios with engineers and the A&R guy whose name I won't mention, but hooking me up with excellent you know people and excellent stuff and i was always feeling like no that that note has to be there you know andy was just like oh this is interesting he was he was and the cool thing about warm robot was that it, it to me anyway was just like a conversation between me and andy it was just because that's all that was on it was just me and him and it started to get like maybe three songs in where I would purposely leave an extra four, you know, an extra four bars empty. I wouldn't put anything on there. And I'd think, oh, I wonder if Andy's going to add something right there. <laughs> you know, he'd send it back and he would have put some, you know, harmonium or something weird in there. And, and I'd be like, oh, that was it. That was exactly what that part needed. So, and it was just this cool, like, conversation. I mean, honestly, when it, when it comes to music, being in the studio, I mean, you can't really do better. Andy's got, you know, as they say, and Stu as well. I mean, they've got like big ears, you know, they can hear the grass grow. They, it's just, there's nothing that they can't hear. So you can send them anything, anything. And they go, Oh, right. Yeah. I see what you're doing there. And just, you know, <laughs> oh, I see what you meant there. And we'll describe it back to you or add something back to it that you understand is exactly what you meant. It's like a conversation. It's like yeah. a, it's just like a great conversation. The best conversations to have, those are the conversations you want. So people are familiar with your music and they're familiar with Andy's music. And although Stu's name is on a lot of stuff. They might not be familiar with what he does and what his contribution is. So tell me about Stu's contribution to the Three Club Men project and also to the breaks as well, because because you've worked with him then as well. Thing about Stu, I mean, he's he's sort of a beloved guy in Swindon. He really is. Um, every musician in town knows who Stu is and has worked with Stu. And Stu's 
gift, I think, is that he he gets to the heart of who the person is. He brings out the best. He can make anyone sound good. He really brings out who you really are, and then he makes it better. <laughs> he's a really great producer. He really is because, and he's 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 honed his skills over the years. He just gets better and better. But his real foundation for that, I think, is that he gets people. He and he has such a vast uh, library of music that he loves and that's in his head and that he listens to that he can understand where you're coming from. He can understand what you're getting at. And he's quite good at it. He's and he's a weirdo. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he'd mind me saying that he is a weirdo. And so he can add things that maybe you would not have thought of and turn it in a direction that you wouldn't necessarily have taken it in. In terms of the relationship between the three of you within the three club men, musically speaking, not psychologically speaking, but musically speaking, Andy Partridge is a, a dominant personality. Musically speaking, you're a dominant personality in the sense that you've got your name on record sleeves and so on. Is it that he 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 brings some sort of counterbalance to that to, to to balance it up oh i think so i think i think though that he also as a person Stu is a very humble mild guy and he's happy to bring everything he has to a situation and doesn't feel compelled to take the spotlight or say, here I am, this is me. It's just not his personality. He really does well by others. He's really good at it. And I think the atmosphere of the music has much to do with him, much to do with him. His sensibilities, like I said, are weird. He's he's out there and he brings those sensibilities in and it it brings everything together. It brings everything together in a way that maybe wouldn't have made as much sense without him. He is really integral to it. And he works like that boy works. <laughs> he works. He does. He puts in the work. In a way, it's, it, I get the impression that, it, that it's sort of his project in the sense that um, you, you were all contributing off and on over the 10, the 13 years, whatever it is since you first started doing it. But he's the one who's driving it most recently in terms of, you know, actually getting it together and, and, and putting it out. Yeah, I think it finally came to that. And we all wound up in a place where it made sense to the three of us. But he's driving this thing. He's driving the bus. Yeah, that is yeah. that is true. Yeah, in a very modest sort of way. <laughs> in a very modest way, yeah. Um, he deserves a lot more recognition than he has. He he really does. I'm was really pleased about this project because I wanted someone to finally say, "Wow, this guy is an amazing producer. Look at this guy." Mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. hoping for that for him because he deserves it. He he deserves it. He's very very good. And you're saying that from the breaks as much as from the three club men, are you? Absolutely, because when we did when we did the breaks, I would send him a raw song, guitar and vocals, and maybe a couple of little odd 
instrumentations of other things, you know. And we would chat and he would say, I see a Victorian house and someone at a typewriter. What do you see? And I'd say, yeah, I see. I see. And we would talk about it in a cinematic sense. And, and then he knows what to do to, to create that world. And so we talked about each thing. There's a song on the breaks called Cake. And it is, um, I said, that's going down in a pub. You can see the people. And, and he zoned in on that and he added what would give that atmosphere. He's very good at that. The way you're talking reminds me of the way Andy will talk about the, the visual images that music provides him in a sort of synesthetic way. Uh, is that the way you think as well? Do you, do you have a sort of blur between your senses? I don't know if I'm quite as adept as Andy is at that. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's sort of uh, miraculous in that way. He really can create, he creates a full-on world, just lyrically. His lyrics create create the world and then it almost seems like everything else could go a bunch of different ways and you'd still get that feeling i feel like i feel like with my stuff some of it has to do with all the extra things that i put on to create that world lyrically i'm i don't think i'm nearly as adept as andy andy has that line into words so yes and no i guess and I suppose I'm also thinking about the way anybody, any two people communicate about their artistic ideas when you're working in an abstract mu medium. So music is an abstract medium, two people talking about it. Uh, you, you know, it is the thing that it is, but but it is its own evidence. Of it. But if to try and describe it is difficult because words don't necessarily live up to it. And that description you just gave of your conversations with Stu suggests that you have maybe a shorthand or a way, a sort of mutual understanding, a way of understanding the world. I'm kind of thinking this is a bit of a tangent, but I've had conversations with lighting designers, theatre lighting designers, about how they deal with artistic directors who are putting on a play. And some directors will have a sort of, oh, I want it to be brown with, with, with blue stripes. But others might say, oh, yes, I really want it to be like a, an Arabian desert. And somehow the the lighting designer has got to understand what that language means and, and how you, you know, so you've got to learn the language, I suppose, that each person is speaking. Right. And I think that is that is part of the magic of this situation is, you know, Andy and I communicate really just through the music. I don't I'm trying to think of any real conversations that we had where. I was, you know, describing that way. I mean, sometimes I'll say, I think this needs to be more yellow or, and he, he gets that. And it's a totally different conversation with Stu. But the thing about Stu is he can have both conversations. He, that's the thing about him. He can tune in to the way it is that you describe the world you're trying to create. And he says, oh, I get that and can do it. And you're right. We all have our specific ways that we communicate about that. It's inevitably going to be different for every sort of relationship and every working relationship. And by the sound of it, your relationship with Andy, that the music is its own evidence. <laughs> that's what it is. Just listen to that. Play with that. Yeah. Right. Well, that's I mean, we talked about that before, that it was a, a conversation between us that took it was a conversation that was spoken in music. And there was just an understanding. I say something 
with this weird little song I'm sending, and he responds exactly that is the response that is exactly the conversation that you want and so um where Stu and I have a much more verbal description of things so and Andy talks about the surprise he has when something from you comes back because you think in a different way than he would think uh is that mutual do you does does Andy surprise you with the things that he comes up with or Stu for that matter well the thing about Andy Andy has I mean, this is the, for me anyway, this is the central thrill of Andy is his use of all the notes in a particular octave or three or four. He, a lot of people, when they do a melody, they stay within a, a, a limited range. The The lead melody will be within four or five note range, and then they shift dynamics with the chorus. They'll take the chorus and do something else there to give it the dynamics. And Andy uses everything. His, like we talked about, pink thing. That melody, give me a break. That melody is crazy. It uses so many notes. And then when it shifts to the chorus, it does it again. And that to me is, that is the thing in pop that I want to hear. That is what, ah, that is it. That is the thing. And so... Andy's always a surprise. He's always a surprise. And, and interesting, he has a very tight sensibility with pop. Even though the music can go in many directions, lots of places, you know, up and down, and he's got it wrapped up. He, it's a very tight little unit, his songs. And so when he does something, it feels very specific. So it's not vague. It's not, it's very specific as if he heard what you did and he had this very specific idea that he was able to do. He was able to, to produce it and put it there. I mean, I couldn't say how he comes up with it or how it happens in his head, but the way it translates once it's there is that he had a, a specific idea that he was very accurately able to translate into music. His world is very specific. It's very singular. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. I sometimes think when people cover XTC songs that it's quite difficult to come. Sometimes you hear a completely fresh and dynamic and unexpected rendition of an XTC song, but on the whole, you have to follow the the arrangement as well as the, the you know you can't just take the chord structure you have the arrangement is part of the song it's not like a an, an added on bit later it's it's integral it's it, it the whole thing is part of it absolutely it's a whole work it's not just a song it's a whole piece of work every part matters the dynamics matter that you can't just play you know say the the, the it's in the key of d you can't just strum a D chord and sing the melody and get the full reality of the song. It's all, every piece is important. And that's the, that's the magic of, that's the magic is, is that every piece matters. It's not just a song that you can say, let's give this a country feel. Let's give this a jazz feel, you know, with a rhythm or um, an extra instrument like a steel guitar for country or a trumpet for jazz no the whole thing is of a world 
And we talked about that before. It's the world. Do you want to fall into a world? And Andy can do that. He can, he can make that world. And Stu can create that world. He can create a world that you can step into. Maybe it's like different types of painters. I'm not well-versed in, in art, but I see it that way. So, In your own songwriting, have you learned from Andy? Andy really taught me how to hear, how to listen. Before I did Warm Robot, I would record things and do my mixes, and they were fine. I thought they were good enough for me. And when he sent me back the first mix, I thought, whoa, I couldn't hear the difference between my mix and something else. But when I heard my mix sounding good, it, it elevated the way I was able to hear everything else. And now, of course, all I listen to is mixes. Now, when I hear, when I listen to music, I think, <laughs> oh, this is what they did on the vocal. Oh, this is the, you know, I can hear the mix. And it's great. It's what, you know, it's what you need. So that's the mix. But is there something like structurally in terms of songwriting that you've been influenced by as well? From Would, would that affect you? Andy allowed me to explore a lot more than I had been just because there were no rules on the record we were going to make. So I got to explore different ways of putting things together. The way I write is, it's kind of just what I can do. You know, I'm one of those people, I think, that I can do what I can do. I can't do everything, um, but I can do what I can do. And so that has elevated what I can do. Um, it's opened my mind to, you know, the more the possibilities. So I definitely took that from took that away for sure and i'm i'm thinking about what you were just saying about that your sort of initial or early protectiveness of your songs and wanting them to be exactly that um there i wonder it, it sounds like they in warm robot and and i guess with the breaks as well that you 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 found found a way to be comfortable about in bringing other people in and and and, and feeling that the you could still have these children and they wouldn't be damaged by the interaction and then even more so with the three club men where it's all you know you, you can't afford to be precious in that situation can you where you've got three different no and inputs. that's a, um that's a really good point i think that's part of the joyful aspect of the three club men is that there is a feeling for me anyway you know they're both different they have different experiences as people and but for me just the joyful sort of uh, you know, can do anything in here. There's, you can say you can do anything in here and nobody's looking at you sideways. Nobody is going to just, you know, flat out, no veto. That is not happening. We're not doing that. Uh, so there's a real, just sort of open quality to the whole thing. It's just, it's very fun. Lots of jokes. That's like, like immense amount of jokes. going. <laughs> You know, the humor is, is just, you know, too much, just crying all the time, laughing so hard, you know. That makes me wonder whether you have a, what you might call a, this is a stupid cliche, I suppose, or stupid generalization, but do, would you say that you have a British sensibility in terms, not, you've just mentioned humor, but also in terms of musicality as well, because... It's just quite curious that you're in Albuquerque and you've so got weird. this sort of relationship with these people it's in Swindon. It's very weird. <laughs> Nobody does, right? Any rela- even in Britain, people don't have relationships with people in Swindon. You know? No, and you know, right, right. <laughs> right. And, and I remember when I was when I was over there, and uh, well, the weird thing actually, the first time I was over there, we went on some 
we had breakfast and we went on this walk and we came upon like a, a yard sale. I don't know if you guys call them yard sales or garage sale, but no, a boot, a boot sale, car boot sale or something like that. Someday it was like in the, yeah. 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 And, and we walked up and um, there were two women there selling whatever. And they, they said, Oh, you're from America. Where are you from? And I said, Albuquerque. And they said, Oh, we go there every year. I said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why? What do you mean? You know, because Albuquerque is like, you know, people talk trash about Swindon. Albuquerque is the same. Albuquerque is like, might as well be the sister city of Swindon, although I'm sure Swindon has a much mm. better sister city than Albuquerque. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> I can't, I don't know. I will tell you, though, that when I first went over there to do uh, Warm Robot, a friend of mine, called up and said, uh, I said, God, you've been wanting to, you've been wanting to go to England, have a band and go to England, like so, as long as I can remember. And I said, oh yeah, I, I hadn't even really put that together. But I will say that when I was there, uh, it feels very normal to me, very natural. I don't feel mm -hmm. out of place or anything, like, even though, you know, there's the whole, um, what is it? Like stereotype that English people are reserved and they're they're not uh, expressive. And someone said, well, maybe because all the English people you know are musicians, you're not going to get your regular fare. I said, I don't know. I do not experience English people the way Americans think English people are. I don't experience it that way at all. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I feel very, and it feels very back east to me too. I mean, I was raised in New York until I was like eleven, and it feels very, it's got a very New York-y, maybe just old city vibe. I'm not sure. I can't answer this question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and what is the, the question was so vague. And I don't know if no, there's no, no. anything you could have to yeah. write a book about it. But but, but um, I suppose I'm thinking that there's a, within, within Britain, there's a celebration of the eccentric. It's possible to be not mainstream. Whereas I think in American culture, you know, you, you can be... Even quite a quirky band like REM, for example, they're sort of mainstream. They play big rock stadiums or whatever. And and uh, and that sort of Disneyland, uh, uh, I can't think of a good example, Hollywood kind of mainstream entertainment. There's a sort of... You are correct. A, a championing of the underdog that goes play, does, does take place in New York and does place takes place in certain places in America that, but that I don't know, that I associate with, with a sort of more British culture sort of slightly underdog sort of thing right no and that makes sense that that makes sense the the i mean when i first heard kate bush and you know that wuthering heights was a number one hit it's like what, <laughs> what? <laughs> i mean that's amazing that is what you need that is what you want you know so so that's a that's a, a good point that would never happen here that would never happen here those things don't really i mean maybe back in the back in the day when we still had indie bands and you were still allowed to only sell, you know, 200,000 copies or whatever and, and get by. But no, we're all big and a show. everything is huge, has to be huge. And it's a little, it's obnoxious. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, when you mentioned Kate Bush before, uh, and I might also include, there's other people I could include in this, like, like Bjork, for example, is that, it's not that you sound like Kate Bush, and I'm very—I always remember 
once Kate Bush had become a hit, any female singer who came along, the music journalist would always say, oh, yeah, she sounds like Kate Bush, which, you know, it did, right. <laughs> didn't at all. But I think that if there's a comparison, it's that you that Kate Bush just goes wherever she wants to go. And if she wants right. to sing a song about a washing machine, she'll sing a Absolutely. song about a washing machine. And, and I think Kate Bush will go in whatever direction she wants to go in. And, and she doesn't follow the rules. And the same with Bjork. And I think the same with you, that you you're not allowing yourself to, to say, uh, you know, oh, this isn't this isn't the the proper way that you're meant to do things. So that you will play that that wrong note, for example, or that sing sing a song about something that you're not normally meant to sing a song. Yeah, about. I mean that is what appeals to me across all forms. You know, I like I like small weird little movies. I like I like all of that. I like when people mm-hmm. are are. There's nothing wrong. I mean, you know, Bowie said it with Let's Dance. He said, you can't be mad at me for getting an audience. I mean, that's you can't fault somebody for becoming big. But at the same time, there's something so much more intimate and personal and and potentially meaningful when it's when it's not that when it's you know, maybe you don't reach a million people. Maybe you reach five people. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if those five people are really like, wow, I get that. That is so much more meaningful to me. It it really, um, it, you know, that's what, to me, that's what it should be. That's what you want. You want the thing that you could do as honestly as possible. Somebody to hear it, to connect to that and say, I, I totally relate to that. And somebody sent a message. It said, dear sirs and madam i thank you from my cochlear nuclei to my auditory cortex and and to me <laughs> that is that is it that is that is the message i want i told stuart i said that is the message that i was looking for mission accomplished done okay that you know that does <laughs> that mean something you know so does it come easy to you to or to trust that you can follow your instincts and just allow yourself to go wherever you want to go and not um not think oh that's i'm doing something wrong here yeah i mean i i've i have i'd be lying if i said i hadn't struggled with some of that especially over time the more people tell you things like oh, i don't know jen this is weird or ah you know it's too it's too um too many notes. Oh my God. How many times have I heard? Jen, it's just too many notes. It's a lot of notes you got going. You got chords that, you know, are bumping up against each other. I'm like, right, but listen in that, listen at the bump. That's the spot. (laughs) I have tried to veer into more normal territory. It's always a disaster. It's, it's just a pure disaster. And I wind up feeling like all ashamed. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Because you're sort of playing yeah, somebody like else's a, game. You're playing by somebody else's rules. Yeah, it's like a disguise almost. It's like it doesn't um, doesn't doesn't feel good or natural, and and I I just can't I can't do it. I don't think I'm wired to be able to do that. And I think Andy would give a very similar answer. I mean, he's he's written some great what what should have been big hit pop singles, but but there there's always something that's that's sort of heading in the opposite direction about them that means that they yeah, which yeah never quite land in the, in the way you expect them to makes no sense whatsoever. I don't think that has to do with people either. I don't think that has to do with listeners. I think people 
desperately want that feeling. I really believe that. I think they desperately want to hear something that is outside what they're used to hearing. They have to. Every, what do we even use music and art? And why do we why why do we love it so much? Because it, you know, it gives us those other worlds. It gives us like almost permission to be. Oh, I don't have to, you know, limit myself to this little way, this rule book. I can I can do this. I can look this way. I can sound this way. People want that. They just you know, you know, the powers that be don't. They just, you know, they're just cranking in the dollars. They don't, they don't care about that stuff. So, yeah, I feel the same. You know, you've got, I think, well, I've got all of those sounds. I wonder yeah. what other sounds there are, you know, that, yeah. that could fill in the cracks in between these sort of things. A question I should have asked earlier. It sounded like you were already aware of Andy Partridge before you wrote it. Into... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not like, a, um, but I'm not like this with anybody. So this is no commentary on, on XTC or Andy. I just, I, you know, I tend to like an album or two albums, but I don't have that, that um, inclination to like explore everybody's catalog to know everything about everyone, you know, huge Kate Bush fan, but really it's two albums, um, you know, huge Bowie fan, but it's three albums, <laughs> you know, and I know that, you know, we've got decades of, of stuff that I'm missing out on, but it's just not the way I operate. So to answer your question, yes, I was an Andy fan. Skylarking was um, huge at uh, when I think I first started playing guitar. So I didn't start playing until I was about 20-ish. But when I was in high school, was um, uh, making plans for Nigel and um, census working overtime. Yeah. And, you know, I was like a little punk rock kid. But but XTC was the, was like, you know, we're all listening to all this, you know, hard, dirty music. Um but XTC was the band that everyone was like, and this band. So, yeah, it was like, you know, you're listening to X and you're listening to, you know, all these, you know, bleh, you know, these, but then XTC is like, oh, but them too. So there is a, um, there is a background. There is a, uh, a background there. You know, Pink Thing is one of my, one of my all time favorite songs. Like, and there's the whole thing of it. And then the solo, it's the perfect, that's like a perfect solo. So, you know, so there are those imprints mm -hmm. in there, yes. There, that's, this is a tangent, but there is something that Andy can do that nobody else can really do, which is that he gets a metaphor and he sticks with it. He'll oh, sort yes. of run all the way yeah. through a song with it. And yeah, it's, it's not just like some people will just do two lines of, of the equivalent of Pink Thing, you know, but he'll just stick with it the whole time. That's true. He's lyrically, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a, Active mind. So on the subject of active minds, I suppose this could be a, a, a final question is, is so we, we've got the three clubmen out as we speak. Are we going to get more Jen Olive stuff then? Wouldn't that be awesome? Isn't that, a, isn't that a great, mm -hmm. isn't that I a think great it would question? Be awesome. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. When um, is a, that is a great question. Sometime in the next 10 years. We could, we... No, I mean, I would like to, I would like to do something. I, I would, I'm just, um, I'm in this mode where I really want to, I want to try something else. I want to, I want to, you know, I'm bored with guitar playing. I'm kind of like, I want to do something else. I have this weird little machine I'm trying to figure out and we'll see what happens with that. Are you always creating stuff? Is there a whole load of stuff that, that you've written that hasn't been released? Or... Yeah, there is, there, there's a ton. There's a ton of weirdness just collecting 
dust. <laughs> there is, yeah. For your archivist yeah, to go through. Yeah. And is that stuff you would like to release, or is it because by the sound of it, you're thinking of going into another direction? And no, some of, of some of it is. There is stuff. I need to get clear on the the vision for it. I need it to be right. Um, I process slowly. <laughs> I'm just, you know. Mm -hmm. I've just thought of an extra, extra question, which is about playing live, because you did do, when you were in Swindon, that time with with Stu, you did a few dates. Is is that something that you still do or would still do? I would still do. It's hard to get it right. And that makes me feel some kind of way. But I would do. If, If it could be right, I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the, I mean, it's frightening that amount of energy you know it's just like you know but at the same time you move you just cross over and it's great feeling i love it so um so yeah i would love to do that yeah same and i imagine with with all your all the stuff you're saying about recording in the studio then to play that live is a sort of thinking thinking back to yeah basics and how, how, how you extract yourself from that environment that was the huge challenge was okay i i'm not gonna like take a choir with me some weird, uh-huh. you know, neurodivergent choir with me on the road. So, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So how is this going to work? But I have faith that everything is coming together in a, in a uh, in just the way that uh, we all need and want. So, yeah. Fab. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll be, um, I'll be ready to listen to it whenever it comes out. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> and initial impressions seem to be that everybody loves the Aviatrix. Those who have heard it, you're getting the New York Times thinks you're good. I can't even believe it. Especially considering we, um, this was possibly just going to be an under the radar kind of, you know, people who know us or a small circle. Hey, check this out. And yeah, the New York Times calling us out is pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting, really. Yeah. Actually, even even a bad review in the New York Times means you've been noticed. You know? <laughs> All publicity is good publicity. So <laughs> That you exist. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. To get, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Really, really great really great it's been lovely talking to you and thank you very much for that and thank you very much for the ep which is thank you and i hope it does well yeah me too thanks what do you call that noise thanks very very much again to jen olive there's more of that kind of thing if you wind back to last week's interview with Stu Rowe and you can hold your horses before next week's Andy Partridge episode you can order the three clubmen EP from burningshed.com and thank you once again of course to everyone who has supported the podcast on Patreon and you can join them at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and thanks very very much in particular to the following night's Shining Karma Terry Arnott John Bicknell Kevin Burt Lorenzo Chachi Kale Corbett Liam Duggan Jamie Dunn Jeff Farris Leslie Gooch Mike Grafe Robert Graham Stephen Hope Alan Hughes Marek Krauss Jesper Kumberg Robert Lawlaw Dennis LeCourier Liz Lynch Murray Meikle Yusuf Murrah Karen Neal Jeff Nicholson Amy Parkinson Mark Reed James Reimer Simon Slato Michael Sutcliffe Mark Thomas Nigel Waller and Martin Whitley Great to have you all on board. I'll be back next week with Andy Partridge. See you there.